What's up, hysterical people? I'm Pamela Torrance, the creator of the Hysterical Society, and this is my podcast. <sighs> Where to begin? One year ago, the Supreme Court of the United States just decided to take away reproductive rights from women and people with uteruses all over the country or at least the protections, and basically threw it back to the states, of which we know so many states are not on board with protecting women and protecting bodily autonomy for everybody, anybody. These men want to control. The patriarchy is not going to stop at Roe v. Wade. They're already now talking about a 15-week uh, national ban in the Republican-led Congress. I mean, I'm even more mad now. What's up, Alito? You're off gallivanting on somebody's yacht in private planes, and you're vehemently so mad that Roe v. Wade has, what, not allowed you to, like, force everybody to have children against their will? So, yeah. I'm even more pissed. I'm even more mad now. It's been a year and I couldn't even, I couldn't even imagine the kinds of restrictions and the legislation that's being brought in all of these crazy red states. I've been tracking it in our, the Hysterical Society blog since January and it's pretty bleak. Um, I'm lucky. I live in California, but I mean, over a year ago, I just, I just saw this coming and I just knew that it was going to be bleak times for women and people with uteruses in the United States. So it's hard to imagine. It's 2023. Why do I care so much about this? I was intending to tell my story in the pro-choice documentary film that I did last summer uh, called We're Not Going Back, which unfortunately is a terrible title because here we are. Um, my story is kind of mundane, but I will describe it now just to make sure that, you know, I'm on the up and up and equal footing with everybody that already contributed to my film and anybody else who feels compelled to share any specific anecdotes or stories in the podcast. So basically it was pretty mundane, which is why I didn't make the cut for the film. Uh, but I was young I, and, and because I'm in California... I was just lucky. It was pretty easy. You know, I was 16 and I was stupid. I got knocked up by, you know, my second boyfriend who was older and I kind of just went along with his pullout method, which obviously didn't work after about three months. And, yeah, so I went and got an abortion. It was pretty easy, uh, except the only complication that I had was um, I, I was, I was so sure that it was exactly what I needed to do that I didn't wait at all. And I made an appointment and I went down there. I was actually too early. The embryo hadn't, uh, even implanted into my uterine wall and they weren't able to find it with the ultrasound. 
this was long before um, medical abortion was an option. So, you know, they couldn't do it. And they sent me home. They told me that the possibility of an ectopic pregnancy was sort of the reason why they can't just go in there and, and try it anyway. And that that would obviously have required a more, um, like a more major medical procedure that they don't do at the abortion clinic in town. So yeah, they sent me home. And I think the most scary thing was my boyfriend at the time was the only person who knew about it other than me. And we didn't have cell phones or even pagers back then, I don't think. And so he was supposed to come back after three hours. And of course, I was done after about an hour. And I was just sort of scared, feeling a little bit abandoned while waiting there in the waiting room for him. And, and, and quite scared about the possibility of an ectopic pregnancy, mainly because I hadn't told my, my parents that, you know, obviously having a more complicated situation would have required me to get parental consent for surgery, etc. So, but we went back a couple weeks later and I was able to get the procedure done really with no, no fanfare. Um, you know, I never ended up getting married or having children, which, which is fine. And, you know, it just is what it is. And I'm a very happy, independent woman. Made a career. And now I'm trying to be a filmmaker and podcaster, apparently. Blogger. Um, yeah, I just got so fired up about this issue specifically. Because, you know, it affected me back in 1980-whatever. And I just, the idea that this isn't an option for so many people now is, just breaks my heart, you know, because it just really shouldn't be that way. I mean, I've been fired up about a lot of things, you know, gun control, climate change, uh, Black Lives Matter, um, science deniers and crazy conspiracy theorists, because I actually do have a background in science. But, you know, this was the thing that really had completely changed the tra trajectory of my life. So had I not been able to get the abortion at the time, um, even if I would have given the baby up for adoption, you know, which I guess I would have, gosh, not hard to think about. I was in high school. I was at the beginning in the fall. I would have probably had to leave high school to, you know, have a growing belly. So it's just insane. I mean, I never, ever regretted it. I never looked back. That was not in the cards for me at, at that stage of my life in high school. You know, in a way, I was a victim because the first time with that boyfriend, you know, was basically date rape, I now realize, looking back. And then, just to make it not so dirty and gross, I dated him. You know, I continued to be in that relationship and to sort of make it legit, legit like, oh, we had this thing in the, God, it was disgusting in his Jeep. That was the first time, and then just to make it not quite so disgusting, I just dated him. I dated him. So yeah, that was dumb. I was a dumb 16-year-old. And, you know, I mean, how many dumb 16-year-olds are out there? Or even younger? They can't be just popping babies out. I'm sorry. Um, and obviously, the, the real rape victims, or incest, I mean, do you want to have a child that looks like your rapist? Or your rapist uncle or whatever no so anyway as part of these initial inaugural episodes of the podcast I would you know I think I'll be referring back to this film um so I wanted to give a little bit of the backstory and kind of 
explain a little bit more about why I made this film. So thank you very much for listening. On June 24th, 2022, the Supreme Court of the United States overturned Roe v. Wade, which had protected women's reproductive rights as the law of the land since 1973. This decision came after a flurry of new state laws from conservative states tested Roe by drastically restricting abortion access. These state laws were led by SB 8 in Texas, which took effect in September 2021 and had two main components. Restrict abortion window to within six weeks of conception and encourage civilians to sue aiders and abettors. Soon, Oklahoma and several other states followed suit with their own copycat heartbeat laws. Just to give you a little bit of the backstory about the film, I've been an aspiring filmmaker, screenwriter for many years, and I had been kind of planning my exit strategy for my corporate sales job where I sold clinical trials for a living. Very exciting. I think really it was when Amy Comey Barrett was you know, um, confirmed that I just was started to get a little bit worried and all of the horribleness of the former guy and that whole administration was kindly, finally coming to fruition with the Supreme Court, knowing that there was gonna be this case out of Mississippi. And there were other cases that were lining up if the Mississippi one didn't, didn't go up. Yeah, we kind of saw it coming. Um, those of us who are like political junkies, like I am. And so it was around December that I think I made the decision that I was going to make a, what, a, what would have been a short film at that time. And I launched my recruitment video in, in March of last year. You know, I was still in a little bit of a denial about the actual um, Ruby Wade overturning. But I wanted to make sure that the, that the topic was covered and, you know, and somebody would shine a light on the topic. I guess... At that point, I thought, you know, because of course I had my abortion in the 80s and Roe v. Wade was uh, put in place in 73. And I realized that there were, you know, the women who had, you know, had to suffer before Roe v. Wade, you know, many of them are still alive. And I thought, gosh, if we could get them to share some of their, you know, back alley coat hanger, horrible, harrowing stories that would help educate the younger generation who maybe didn't even really have to worry about it or didn't even think about it. And now they have to worry about it, of course. That was kind of my initial inspiration was to make sure we can capture maybe some of the women who never ever talked about it would be willing to share their stories. And then when the SCOTUS leak happened in early May, it became much more real. And that's when some of the Facebook groups that I belong to that are progressive and kind of women, you know, there was like a one that was women against the former guy and stuff like that. Those groups, you know, most all of these women were so mad that they just, you know, started sharing their own stories uh, written um, in those groups within the protections of the private, private group, but with, you know, lots of camaraderie and commiseration by the fellow group members. And honestly, I realized at that point that, you know, the more harrowing stories it felt were coming from the more oppressed states, the red states. So, you know, just me here in Los Angeles filming my, my friends who, who, who had harrowing stories anyway, but 
that was the moment that I said, I have to get out of California. I have to go to the states where people are already being affected by the restrictive laws. And I tried to map out a whole plan and get all my appointments set up before I left the house here in Los Angeles, but that didn't really work out. <laughs> Best laid plans, right? Um, I had like a committee I was going to try to get on board, but I couldn't even get them to agree upon a time to meet, much less actually coordinate um, a plan for to help with the film. So I basically just did it on my own. <laughs> I just got in my car and I went off. I only had one appointment set up. Um, that was with uh, Kathy. And here's a little snippet from Kathy's testimonial. He had taken me across the state lines to a place in Kansas where they perform late-term abortions. And I'll just say that he was a butcher. I remember my father basically shoving me into the back door of this doctor's office. They don't call it a backdoor abortion for nothing. And I want to tell you that, yes, I was young. I was pregnant by my first love, and I wanted that child. I, I wanted that child. She's the one that convinced me that I had to get out of California. And so I did reach out to her, and then I had a like two-hour phone conversation to make sure she felt comfortable. And then I set out on the road June 16th last year. All of the other subjects in the film, you know, I was able to recruit just kind of organically. There were a lot of referrals, so the first interview that I had with Kathy, she referred me to Tulsa and one of her friends there, which was Julie. And here's a little tease of Julie. You know, when you say the word pro-choice, those are two little words, but there's so much more. Our family, our society, nobody talked to young women in 1969 about getting pregnant. I was 17, so I turned out to be pregnant in a small town in Texas uh, where it was not legal to get an abortion. And Julie took me to All Souls Unitarian Church where I met Shannon, and Shannon hooked me up with somebody who eventually led me to the Rage folks out of Oklahoma City, which is one of the reasons why I went back to Oklahoma later. So it all just kind of came organically. And it was while I was in Tulsa that I learned about Dallas at All Souls Unitarian Church in Tulsa. They had already had Daniel, who's the pastor from First Unitarian Church of Dallas, who's in the film, um, they had had him speak, so they told me I had to go to Dallas. So that's exactly what I did. And it turned out, interestingly enough, that I had basically come from Tulsa to Dallas literally the night before the Dobbs decision landed. So I had just arrived in Dallas, and I honestly was thinking they would at least give me the weekend to kind of regroup. You know, I knew it was going to be bad. I didn't think the actual legislation, I thought they would push it to the very end of the term in the very end of June. But they kind of surprised us on June 24th, which was a Friday. Here's my little scramble post that I did that day. They did it. They fucking did it. They took our rights away. They're trying to make us be characters in The Handmaid's Tale. And we're not going back. I'm so pissed right now. I'm in Dallas. I've been traveling the country in the Bible Belt. I was in Oklahoma just yesterday. I am so mad. I can't believe they did it. 
they stripped our rights, women and trans men and any persons who care about this topic. We have to fight back. We're not going back. Now it's up to us. We got to row, row, row your vote. I have a great set of footage and clips from already my time in Oklahoma mainly that I will be finishing editing today and dropping and hope it, please share it. I hope it goes viral. We're not going back. They have to hear us now loud and clear and we have to take to the streets and we have to take to the voting booth. Thank you for supporting the film. This is it. This is, we have to fight back and we have to get people out to vote. Everybody you know needs to vote in November. Thank you. And then it went from there. You know, I had a lot more recruitment potential after the decision landed. Um, I went to rallies. I, the first rally was the next day in Fort Worth. And then I also went to the rally a few days later in Dallas. Was able to recruit from the rallies, you know, told people what I was working on. And I was able to capture some of the other subjects in the film. You know, I think Ashley and Austin, I had met that morning. And then I filmed them that evening. And here's a little peek at Ashley and Austin's testimonial. Ashley and I met a few years ago. I saw how she was with her daughter. One of our biggest things that we had talked about before we really decided on, yes, we do want another baby, is he was worried about us going through an ectopic pregnancy. You know, you don't think about it in the moment whenever you're going into that doctor's office and you, you're you hoping that you're gonna see a baby. You know, you're hoping that you're gonna be pregnant if you're trying. I remember thinking how fortuitous and serendipitous it all felt as I just was able to capture a variety of kind of different harrowing stories. But I will say I struggled wasn't all hunky-dory and I think the biggest thing that frustrated me a little bit throughout the summer is that knowing that the black and brown populations are the ones that are most deeply affected by these abortion bans and restrictive you know requirements etc that they were the people that I needed to make sure their voice was captured and and incorporated into this film and, you know, for those of you listening on the podcast, you can't see, but I'm white. I'm a Caucasian woman. So um, I get it. There was a bit of a distrust and a lack of willingness to engage and participate when I was trying to recruit um, folks in the BIPOC community. So I, I you know, I was, I had not have enough, I think, in the film to make sure that I tell that side of the story. But it was something that I did struggle with. And um, I learned, as my own white privilege, you know, I, I learned a lot through that summer of why. I guess that's where, you know, now with this next iteration in this podcast, I would like to dig in a little bit further on some of those issues and, and hopefully, you know, build bridges so that we can work together in 2023 and beyond to make sure that we take care of all oppressed populations. So not only cis white women of which I am but also you know LGBT folks who need reproductive care but also have other challenges with getting health care for um, transgender and you know 
in general bodily autonomy and just like accepting their existence. Me and white women, um, especially in this kind of new feminist movement, if you will, um, and bring along the BIPOC populations, minority folks who I know were just completely ostracized and not really included, didn't have a seat at the table during the early, you know, suffragette movement, etc. here in the United States. That's not good. That's not cool. And if anything, they are the folks that, you know, need to have access to reproductive health care. So these are all reasons why I have made this podcast. And I have already lined up some amazing guests that I'll be interviewing in the future um, episodes. But for these first couple episodes, just wanted to set the stage and tell you a little bit about me. Because um, I'm a, I mean, I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm not a famous person and I'm not a, a doctor and I'm not a healthcare reproductive rights expert. Um, I do have a science background, but I'm just a person who had an abortion. It was so easy and the right thing for me at that time that the idea that that isn't available just breaks my heart. So I had to do something about it. So here we are. So Reverend Deneen Robinson, pastor, Unitarian Universalist Church of Oak Cliff, uh, was one of my favorite people that I got to meet on the road. She agreed to meet with me, but unfortunately, she tested positive for COVID that morning that we had our appointment. So I did have to do the interview with her over Zoom. Here's a little glimpse into what Deneen had to say. I am Reverend Deneen Robinson, pastor of Unitarian Universalist Church of Oak Cliff. I also am the director of religious policy and strategy for uh, the National Birth Equity Collaborative. When I think about Roe, think about it first knowing that my daughters will begin their consideration of their reproductive choices from a place that I didn't even have to think about. We zoomed for about an hour and only a little bit of it made it into the film. I'll, I'll probably release more of that interview as its own standalone podcast episode in the near future. So definitely look for that because she's so amazing and she's been fighting for reproductive rights for people in Texas for so many years. And she's just just fun and, and, and a great soul and, and somebody who tells it like it is. So it's a little it was so much fun to meet her. And um, even though I didn't get to meet her in person, I did get to meet her a few times a little bit later on in the summer. So I definitely loved Deneen, and she was one of one of the stars of my film as both a you know authority figure, a professional authority figure who does abortion activism work, uh, but also you know she tells her own story as well. So I definitely loved Deneen. So Andrea Gallegos, she was also phenomenal. She ran the Tulsa Women's Clinic. Um, and when I met her, it was literally probably three days before uh, the Dobbs decision. Here's a little peek into what Andrea shared. We have currently stopped providing abortions at Tulsa Women's Clinic um, since the governor signed uh, the total ban into effect. Um, May 19th was when that happened, 2022. If we were to provide an abortion outside of the very few exceptions that the total ban allows, then we as the clinic, 
me as an individual, any staff member, our physicians, um, any funding organization, any person who assisted the patient into getting to the appointment, uh, covering the cost of the appointment, could be sued for up to $10,000. These laws basically deputize private citizens into being able to be bounty hunters, essentially. I was a little bit shocked that they had already stopped providing abortions there at Tulsa Women's Clinic, even though Roe v. Wade had not been overturned yet. And that was because they were afraid of the vigilante part of the um, new law that had been restricting since May, um, the, the month before. She's also affiliated with uh, the clinic in San Antonio that she briefly mentions violated the SB8 law that the Texas law had been in place since September of 2021. So both Oklahoma and Texas were suffering even before Roe v. Wade was overturned with these crazy restrictive laws that, you know, were being challenged, but in theory, obviously were already in place officially from the legislation. Red states. <laughs> I needed to be home in time for a wedding, which was on July 3rd. So it was getting a little bit late, and I it was a few days before that, but I realized I probably should start heading home to California. So I just happened to check out um, a different Facebook group, and I happened upon uh, somebody's post, similarly a written post about their um, their story that was very harrowing. You know, it had to do with rape, etc. And that was somebody that I just reached out to who was in New Mexico. So I was in Texas, going to be driving back to Southern California, and I said, hey, New Mexico is on the way. So I ended up hitting up this woman. Um, here's a little bit of from her story. After a while, my mom and I realized I was pregnant. Luckily, five years before, Roe versus Wade had been passed. So she was able to take me to Planned Parenthood. And they treated me so well. I remember it just being like a regular doctor. It hurt a little bit and um, it was over. And I haven't really talked about it until now and I'm 57 years old. I would never have told this story, I don't think. And I'm mad that I have to. I you know, planned to spend the night in Albuquerque one night I actually found another woman in a different Facebook group who was in, an, you know, not too far away, um, and I was able to capture both of them in the same day. And that other woman gave an equally interesting and diverse uh, testimony for the film. Here's a little tease from that testimonial. Born in March of 1971, and I'm adopted, uh, which means that my biological mother did not have a choice. She had to carry a baby before Roe versus Wade. We talked for about an hour and, you know, shortly into the conversation, she tells me about my um, conception. It's pretty awful to hear that you're a product of gang rape. So, I mean, it was just kind of a miracle that almost my best recruits came from just a very organic way. I think because of at the time, everyone was so mad that they wanted to participate. I even actually had people who I had met along the way before the decision dropped. And then afterwards, 
they got so mad that they had rethought and they had missed their opportunity to be in the film. And then they reached out to me by email and said, okay, I want to do it now. But of course, by then I was already not in their state anymore. They were in Oklahoma. So it was kind of crazy. And honestly, I probably could have just stayed out on the road if I didn't have that wedding and gotten so many more stories. But I, I obviously have a, had a deadline. I set out in June knowing that I was going to have the film locked and loaded and I was targeting a specific film festival that I had been in the year before with another film. And that film festival was the Awareness Film Festival, so I kind of had a feeling that they would accept us. The Awareness Film Festival runs in mid-October, so it was perfect timing to get the premiere done before the election. And then they also had an online platform, so the film... Uh, was shown for a few weeks um, online through their um, partner platform. So I did promote it heavily, of course, between then and the election. I don't get to take all the credit for, you know, out of the five states that had reproductive rights on the ballot in some fashion, all five went for reproductive rights, um, either voting no or yes, depending on the way the proposition was worded. Um, plus Kansas, I think right after Roe v. Wade, I think within a month, they had had an election and they basically voted, uh, you know, to protect reproductive rights in their state. So yeah, this is a terrible, terrible decision by the Supreme Court of the United States. The corrupt Supreme Court, I think, I think we should be able to say now. So yeah, they got to go. And we, as the community, the hysterical people, need to band together form coalitions, get out there and organize, and fight back. And vote, obviously vote for the right candidates in November of 24, or leading up to that with your primaries in your various states. So we got to get better people in Congress and in even your local elections, etc. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll engage with us in the Hysterical Society. We've got the Facebook group. We've got the blog where you can comment. And now we have the podcast, so we hope that you'll engage and really form these coalitions and band together. So thank you so much. I appreciate you. And keep fighting. And stay hysterical, everybody. We are the universe. So beautiful. Through all of the hurt, we'll stand. Invincible. So beautiful. We'll take on the world. the world.